once we show up to the table and once we have the confidence and have real vulnerable conversations around money matters, then we can start to understand what the money is actually for. And I think for each of us, it's our own personal and unique why of wealth story. What do wealth and financial security mean to you? And how do you bring them into your life? On this episode of the Creative Community, you'll learn how to discover and align with your goals and your why to create the life you want today and the future you want tomorrow. Check out the show. Welcome to the Creator Community. This is a podcast from book publisher, New Degree Presser, and DP, powered by Manuscripts, Inc. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. In this show, we learn about the authors, their journeys, and the extraordinary lessons from their books. This year, NDP will cross over 1,700 published authors on six continents and has earned a spot on the Inc. 5000 list for the second year in a row. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. If you've ever thought about writing a book but weren't sure where to start or how to finish, visit manuscripts.com to learn more. This is episode nine of season six, and today with me, Cassandra Smalley. She is the author of The Why of Wealth, Mastering the Steps to a Wealthy Mindset to Live a Joyful Life, which is due out this March 2023. Cassandra is a mother, spouse, and formerly competed nationally in Baton for the University of Florida Gatorettes, and now is the founder and CEO of Cassandra Smalley Wealth Management, a financial planning and wealth management practice. She's a certified financial planner, professional, and holds the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. She is on a mission to empower women to define and use their voices at the financial table to ensure they can enjoy a fulfilling, purposeful, creative, and joyful life. She has been recognized by Forbes and Shook Research as America's top women wealth advisors in 2021, top next-gen wealth advisor 2017 to 2020, Working Mother Magazine, and top wealth advisor moms 2017 to 2020, among others. After 15 years in financial services, Cassandra felt called to publish a book based on her experiences. The book centers on the challenges women face in building wealth and pivots obstacles into action by turning one's unique perspective into one's power to design their best life. Cassandra, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to be here. The pleasure is all mine. You know, I can't wait to hear more, more about your story, your, your journey, and, and the why of wealth. But let's learn a little bit, about, a little bit more about your career journey before we go there. You know, what brought you to this moment? Yeah, so you know, my background I actually didn't start in financial services right away. My undergrad was sport management, and my first job after college was an internship with the PGA, helping set up the Players Championship. But I realized I wanted to do more in finance. So I went back to work on an MBA and found my way to a job at Fidelity Investments, trading stocks and mutual funds and helping clients with their investment accounts. But not more than a, a few months after getting hired, it was actually the start of the Great Recession and the stock market started to crumble. And I'm sure you'll remember everything on the news at that time was negative. Businesses were failing. People were losing their jobs and their homes. And clients really saw their, their hard-earned savings fall in half over the next 18 months or so. Yet at that time, I, you know, I started studying for all the licenses and certifications and absorbing as much information as I could to be able to help clients. And I also found a, a passion helping people with their college investment accounts. And I noticed this huge kind of inconsistency in some of the calls that I took the conversations in college planning were completely different than the regular calls about their investments. 
and, you know, phone calls from parents and grandparents. They were happy and joyous. Conversations centered on, you know, a new bundle of joy that entered the world or grandparents would talk about traveling across the country to to watch their grandkids' baseball games. And, you know, they'd call and, and talk about taking withdrawals to pay for tuition and touring college campuses. You know, even conversations, you know, even though they were about their investment accounts, the one thing that made all of their fears and the world seemed to go away during this time frame was, you know, how much they loved and were proud of the little, the younger people in their life. And the conversation really centered on what mattered most to each person. So, you know, reflecting back, I can see this was kind of the start of that light bulb moment of where we need to make sure our conversations about money really go back to our why. And, uh, you know, five years later, I began working for another investment advisory firm, you know, still focused on investments and financial planning, but it was much more focused on those longer term relationships and helping clients step out of their careers and reach retirement and ensure their money would last throughout retirement and then ultimately pass on to the next generation. I really appreciate that you recognize where people found the most joy in their financial planning, which was helping their kids financial plan for college and and this whole thing, and then really saw that as an opportunity to build and grow and continue to learn and expand your skill set. And by the way, for those who don't know, the CFA, I do not hold the CFA, although I worked in financial services for many years, that has one of the highest fail rates of any designation in the financial service industry because it's so incredibly difficult to get. So congratulations on getting the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. That's extraordinary. Yeah, Before you. we get into your book, Cassandra, how did you discover the author coaching program? And given your busy schedule, how did you fit it into your life? Yeah, so I was I was actually listening to a podcast for other financial planners. It was XYPN Radio, and Katie North was sharing her journey about writing and publishing her book. Her book was called The Resiliency Effect, and she went through the Creator Institute and published, I believe it was in 2020, and it was exactly what I was looking for. It had the accountability and the editors and the coaching and publishing and really all the the tools and resources I needed to get my book from start to finish. And coming to the program, I actually had, you know, 40, 50,000 words started as articles I had saved on my computer thinking, you know, one day I'd turn it into a blog. But as the the content grew and, and my passion for this topic around women's financial wealth and success grew, I realized, you know, I'd love to turn it into a book in hopes that maybe someday it could help someone have more of these types of financial conversations in their own homes and so, you know, I joined the evening writing workshops, which helped me better understand different writing styles and how to construct chapters and, you know, spent many late nights up to one and two in the morning sometimes when the the writing vibes were flowing and consumed many of my weekends. I think it was encouragement along the way, both in the author community there to support me as well as, you know, my friends and family and network really helped keep me going. You know, writing a book is really hard, but the more I was able to involve people in the process, it really refueled me to keep going. And, you know, even though I wasn't starting from scratch and had quite a bit of content coming into the program, I, you know, I learned there were certain components that were missing from chapters and it was actually kind of difficult to let go of so much content to make way for interviews and research and stories that would ultimately make the book better. That is fantastic. And uh, Katie North, I was in the same cohort with Katie North, actually. Oh, really? So I love that you brought her name up. And uh, yeah, we went through the journey together and I got to hear her story and taking a sabbatical and all of these things, which was amazing. But I also appreciate the fact that right part of this journey is learning how to build chapters, not write them, right? And also figuring out what style and what works for you. And more importantly, hitting that tipping point, which I'm going to 
add as a word to your story there, which is once you hit this tipping point and really understand what your book's about and part of the process gets you there, you know, right until one or two o'clock in the morning, which was also kind of how I got it done, actually gets easier and easier, which sounds crazy to say, but I sat in this chair many nights till that hour, just because you get so excited about it and you're energized by it and how the reaction you're getting from your audience and how you engage them early on. So love that you had a, sounds like a pretty similar experience. Yep. I know the cover is still a bit of a work in process for you, Cassandra. What's that process been like? How do you how do you create a book cover? Yeah. So like you mentioned, I'm, I'm actually still going through this process right now. So it, it hasn't been finalized just yet. But I knew that I wanted the book cover to, to stand out on the shelf. I wanted that book cover to feel joyful because that's really the mindset I want people to feel when it comes to how their wealth can support their lifestyle. So I was first tasked with creating a mood board and a cover brief. And I want the book to kind of have those blues and turquoise and my favorite beachy colors. So I mixed in my mood board, those different colors with different pictures that resonated with me, different images that were related to the book's themes. And earlier this week, I met with my cover design team and we talked through a couple of different mock-ups and illustrations to see what a, a joyful journey to retirement might look like. And, you know, as of this conversation, they are creating three different mock-ups with different images that my author community will have the ability to help me vote on. So I'm excited to see what they come up with and how it all starts to come together. Well, just the color scheme alone and the mindset you're taking into this, which is what does a joyful retirement look like? I can't wait to see it. Feel free to send it to me to offer a vote up if you're if that would be of interest to you. I'd love to take a look at it. Very cool. So let's get into the book, The Why of Wealth. Cassandra, what's it about? The book summarizes what I've learned working with clients on their financial journeys. So it teaches us to think about our own personal why story and be able to use our wealth to set ourselves and our family up for success. So we can truly enjoy the passions of life. The Why of Wealth is designed to grow with you throughout your life's journey from early career professionals through your golden years. So there's chapters that will fit no matter your age and stage. And it's really designed to build financial confidence and help us have more honest conversations and ultimately feel less stress and more joy. So the first part of the book is about the why. So specifically why conversations about money and wealth you know, really need more inclusion for women. And we talk about issues that can impede our wealth story and how some of those are even more pronounced, particularly for women. But then we also talk about things that actually make women excellent with their money. And it's estimated that, you know, women have control over, you know, 80% or more of the purchasing decisions and are really good at, you know, research and planning, tend to give back more to their community. And that helps make others successful. And, you know, studies have shown women tend to have better investment returns because they're more likely to stick with their plans. So all those characteristics should help us feel empowered to take that next step. And then the next part of the book jumps into the five steps to a wealthy mindset. So my five steps are mindfulness, wellness, security, success, and freedom. And these chapters are the how. So how to take control and prepare to build, grow, and sustain your future and lasting legacy. And we talk about financial self-care and how our personal experiences gives each of us a completely different and unique perspective about money matters, you know, how to really have honest conversations. And, you know, it does take a lot of vulnerability to open up to something our culture has always kept really behind closed doors money is typically a, a taboo topic. And I hope this book opens more people up to having conversations about 
financial success because our life can can really depend on it. So it it covers how to build your financial house and you know what to do if your whole world turns upside down. You know, re- rethinking retirement as many phases and the importance of our health and well being on maintaining our social circles. You know, how to create our our legacy and use those steps about to create that legacy to lead our own fulfilling life. And I've done these exercises with clients where we get them to think about their ideal life, both now and in the future, so that it it aligns with their values and what's most important to them. And, you know, really, once we get them to articulate what the goal or the dream can look like, it's my job to see how we can financially make that happen. So, you know, I can think of one situation where the goal was, you know, I'm ready to sell the family business and move us all and live abroad and in a much more relaxed environment. And for that family, that was took a lot of planning and transitions to make sure they were where they wanted to be before settling. But, you know, it's using their wealth completely changed their world and ultimately elevated their their happiness and their family togetherness. You know, it's interesting how joy and wealth are sort of woven throughout this story here. You know, why do you think people have such a hard time finding joy and wealth? You know, I think it's because it's such a a taboo topic. You know, we don't want to say that money just, you know, provides us happiness. I think that's kind of a false creed to live by. But when you can align it with your your passion and your purpose and, and it matches and aligns with your values, I think you can really see how money is just simply a, a tool or a resource that can provide you with a, a fulfilling lifestyle. But it's a it's a balance and a trade-off between, you know, making that a fulfilling lifestyle now, but also in the future. Such a great point, right? It's not about buying that next thing. It's about having these options, having this balance and and creating a life that you want, which is so, so important and not being tethered to limited decisions, which happens when you don't have the financial picture that you want, right? Amazing. And it certainly sounds like we need more female investors out there based on some of the data you shared earlier. So good for you for bringing, helping to empower and enable so many. So speaking of the book and the audience, who do you think this audience is for the book? Yeah, so the the book begins with the the central theme on the importance for women to feel empowered to share their voice at the financial table. But I really didn't want this to be another, you know, how-to book about personal finances. I I feel like there's many iterations of that already. So instead I I share stories related to money challenges from others who've navigated different financial chapters in their life. And the idea for the book was focused on helping women feel confident and empowered to achieve their own version of financial success. I I also hope this message helps couples have better conversations around money, helps parents have better conversations with their adult children who may need to take over and care for them at some point. And perhaps it may even spark a, a dialogue in the financial planning community with some of the stories I created of, you know, how would you handle some of these tough money talks with your clients? So it's not necessarily to say that there's one right answer. The book is to help people have better conversations so that building wealth is purpose-driven for each individual and really has the ability to achieve financial success and ultimately financial freedom. How much does enabling or empowering these conversations tie to the why or the mission behind this book? Earlier in in my career, when I previously worked for the financial advisory firm, you know, I, I began to notice certain trends in the way families and couples really treated wealth and how that can have a, a much bigger impact on women's financial success. You know, it may not happen to everyone, but, you know, it was not unheard of to hear 
you know, divorce happening in their 60s and 70s. And, you know, I saw women having to start over after already reaching retirement age or, you know, widowed women living off what they could afford after their spouse's medical care. And, you know, I, I started noticing that some of those conversations and decisions couples were making kind of earlier in their career and how some of those stories seem to repeat a similar pattern or cycle. And it could lead to financial challenges later on. So that really became my mission to encourage both parties to have a voice at the financial table and that the financial table really needed to be more inclusive. So it's it's not just about what stocks are in there. It's it's more about that why. So, you know, I started making sure, you know, both parties were engaged and encouraging clients to call family meetings so that the next generation were involved or knew who to call because at the end of the day when you think about, you know, statistically who lives longer, eight out of every 10 women are are bound to make, you know, have to take care of their own wealth or someone else's. The decisions you know we're making over the course of our careers could actually have a much bigger impact on her success and her ability to maintain that sense of security and financial freedom. And that realization was kind of the start of the idea for the book and the why. Seeing these consistent mistakes that you clearly saw found solutions for and helping people identify them early on and making sure that they address them and building that into everybody's plan. What a fantastic mission that you're on here. You know, one of the key themes you talk about in the book is defining purpose. How many things will you be when you grow up? And, and what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I'm actually, that quote comes from Dr. Joe Coughlin, who's the, the director of the MIT Age Lab, who said, you know, we should start thinking about a hundred year life where we're, we're no longer asking, you know, what are we going to do with our life? Or what do we want to be when we grow up? It's What's that purpose in our life and how many things will we be when we grow up? And I really hope that's what I can help people get um, start to think about as they're, you know, using their resources to design their best life, both now and in the future. And I think it can mean a lot of different ideas to different people. And I would expect that to kind of change over time. In the, the book, I share this silly moment where I went to visit my aunt on a long weekend who's now retired. And she was a very accomplished woman in her career. And she turned to me and she, she said, you know, have you seen the sandbox I built in my backyard? And it, it caught me off guard. So, you know, pause trying to process what she just said. And kind of the next logical question was, why on earth would you need a sandbox? <laughs> so, you know, we walked out her back door and across her yard and she lives on a, a few acres of land. So it was kind of tucked beneath the trees. And this was not just any sandbox. She constructed this park-sized pavilion and this giant sandbox had a fully operationally levered lid. It spanned the entire length. And the purpose of it all was for this six foot tall blazing kiln in the middle for her to make our pottery. So she's sharing this experience with me of, you know, how, how it all comes together. And, you know, to somebody, it may look like a, you know, just a hobby, but it was, you know, part side income, part passion projects. And she attends art camp vacations for adults where she learns different techniques and has another entire art studio in her garage where she makes these beautiful pieces for others. And it was this really unique moment where I realized our purpose and our passions in life don't need to fit in some kind of traditional retirement box. This sandbox in this case was was really that metaphor or symbolized a vision of retirement that was uniquely hers. It, you know, the sandbox wasn't for kids, it's not for grandkids. It was her vision. And 
you know, that defined a joyful life and what that meant for her. And so when we think about like how wealth can be used as a tool to help us fuel our passions and find purpose and enjoyment, you know, I'm, I'm finding it's, it's not about asking clients what they're going to check off the bucket list when they clock out of work for the last time. It's, it's about creating a lifestyle and understanding our why story, you know, and however many versions of ourselves we like to be being an artist was just one of the many amazing things that she does. When you think about helping people with this planning process, so unearthing their purpose and passion is part of that journey. What what are some of the questions you like to ask people to help unearth that? Yeah, just, you know, as you think about what an ideal lifestyle would be, you know, in five years, what what would you ideally like to, to accomplish? You know, and we we try and back into that, not just today, but also, you know, what what have you accomplished and what do you want to accomplish in the future that you haven't yet done yet? I think there's a lot of different ways that we can kind of think about these different versions of ourselves. And, you know, if you were starting your career over today, what what would you be passionate about? Even going back to passions we, we had as kids, you know, refueling and re-energizing those moments, I think is is important to us to feel more joy so that we don't just become, you know, the day-to-day career <laughs> career person. Such a powerful exercise to incorporate not into, into the financial planning process, really understanding what does that ideal future state look like? And let's envision that for a minute and really helping people think through that sounds like an extraordinary exercise to take them through. And I cannot be, it doesn't put a, a few things, put a bigger smile on my face and thinking about your aunt there playing in her big sandbox in the middle of her acres in the backyard at you know 60 something years old as a retiree. That is fantastic. Uh, you know, you've talked a lot about why women need to be at the table. Why is it so important for them to be involved in these financial decisions? As I was researching some of these different issues, the word gap really stood out to me. So I kind of think about some of these different challenges or issues as gaps. And if you've ever been on the London Tube where they announce free to mind the gap, it kind of blares over the intercom, something that seems so small and obvious, but can have really harmful effects if you you know stepped in that space between the train car and the platform. And so even though we know that these gaps are there, I still think it's really important that we try and take some action to minimize the impact of them. You know, one of the more common gaps we hear about is the gender pay gap, where studies show, you know, women make 82 cents for every dollar men make. And the planner in me just worries about, you know, for someone who's impacted by that difference, if she had the opportunity to invest that difference, that 18% difference over the course of her career, mathematically, it could very easily mean a million dollar difference in wealth alone. And then you look at things like longevity gap, where we know women statistically live longer and will increasingly be the decision makers. You know, one in three women are projected to see age 95 and wealth transfers to that next generation. And then, you know, there's studies of the gender investment gap, meaning, you know, women on average tend to hold more cash rather than invest. And, you know, one explanation I found that might have to do with that is how the household actually divides financial responsibilities. And that's something I've seen happen, you know, in my career too, where, you know, one party pays the groceries and the bills and the kids' activities where the other takes care of investing in their 401k. And that to me seems like they could be dividing their success when they divide financials to that degree. And what I'll call social security gaps can exist because of some of those other factors. So, you know, if they are impacted by lower wages or they do take career breaks for caregiving roles, 
means that work history and earnings history will be impacted. And so while you know some of these may not seem like much in isolation, when you start adding some of these factors together, especially over the course of a career, the issues only get amplified. And, and so, you know, hypothetically, let's say, you know, if someone is impacted by less pay at work or needed to take time out of their careers to, to be the caregiver, those dollars missed are not contributed to their retirement, not inflated in the next promotion, not compounded in their investments, and ultimately not accounted for in the social security calculations. Yet women have to live longer or, you know, must build more wealth and financial security so their resources last longer because they tend to live longer. So the, the key to all this is, is that we do have some power to close that gap either by investing or showing up to the financial planning meetings and sharing our voice in a powerful way that affects decisions that will make a difference in our future. Wow. You make me think of Kane Tanaka now as one of the oldest living people on planet Earth, lives in Japan. She died this past year at 117. So talking about these gaps and living longer and being able to identify a them. a long time. Right? You know, probably not a lot of people are going to live to 117, but into their 90s, which my family certainly has shown, is extremely possible. And yeah. I, I really appreciate you raising this fact that what might seem like small percentages can add up significantly over time when it comes to compounding and, and investing over many decades and years. You know, another key element you talk about, not just bringing women into the conversation, but children. And many times that can be a pretty awkward conversation for family members to say, to bring their children into the conversation about wealth, what's a good way to involve the children in that conversation and to teach good, healthy lessons around money? It can be really as, as simple as just involving them in our daily routines. One of the women that I interviewed, Sherry Finley, who had, I had the great pleasure of meeting during this process, she shared this story with me about you know how she handled grocery shopping trips with her kids. And what started off as something meant to just get a handle on the budget and make trips easier to manage actually ended up teaching them life lessons that her adult kids still talk about today. And what happened was she she noticed that when the kids were home from school in the summer, you know, the grocery bills obviously started skyrocketing and to kind of keep snack limits within reason, she gave each of her four children $10 to spend on anything they wanted to purchase at the supermarket, obviously within reason of what they were allowed to purchase. And she still bought all the usual food for the family, but this gave the children choice and control beyond the family meals that she would normally buy. So, you know, for example, if there were certain cereals the kid want the kids wanted that week, they they had to stick within their budget. And it really prevented her from having, you know, to buy six different brands of cereal or every variety of lunch meat at the deli counter and, you know, the assortment of chips to feed a small army. But she explained that grocery trips really became an adventure. And the kids, they, they started understanding the value of pooling their money together. And they started negotiating tactics to work out deals. So they would say, you know, I'll buy the breakfast cereal if, if you'll get the bag of chips. And yeah. they, they started to see how this simple experiment turned into valuable life lessons. They learned how to stay within their budget. And there were alliances that developed through this process. And the alliances would change over time, depending on who cared about different types of food. And she she described this one moment where all four kids were kind of gathered around the cash register in the checkout lane, you know, adding up their total with a dollar left over. And here, here comes the decision, right? So 
you know, do we buy the candy bar? Do we go back and get the bag of chips? Do we <laughs> leave it next week so we have more to spend or save it for the ice cream truck tomorrow? So, you know, it seemed really silly, but these were very important spending decisions that taught them the value of the item in question and the value of saving for more expensive items so they could afford them later on. So it it really worked like magic for, for Sherry. It made the grocery trips much more pleasurable experience. But for these kids, it, it actually gave them lifelong lessons that have influenced their own successful habits and financial decisions. So many wins in that story, right? The <laughs> Surely had the better experience at the shopping store, at the grocery store, not having to, you know, de- debate the six kinds of chips to get, right? And yeah. it gave the kids this ability to make this decision about opportunity cost, right? If I buy this thing, right. then I can't have this other thing, right? And I vividly remember a time sort of bugging my mom about why do you collect all these coupons? And I was probably 12 or something, 10, 12 years old. She was always cutting coupons, which of course is now all digital, but in like back then there was this big shoebox in our house that had, you know, 800,000 coupons in it. And we'd go to the grocery store and she'd pluck them all out. And I bugged her about it. And finally, one day she goes, we spend ten dollars to $12,000 a year on groceries. If we can save 10% on that, that's $1,200. Guess how much the airplane tickets cost on our last vacation? About $1,200. You know? And so it really, that was a really big moment for me through a similar experience to Shirley's at the grocery store where I was like, oh, that's where this can come into play because I love going on vacation and now I see how we get that done. So love that story. Thank you for sharing that. So communication about money matters, right? Why is this so important? Yeah. So I think it's tough enough for many people to talk to their their partners about money, but for future generations who will inherit it, you know, money values and expertise are just as important to communicate and really pass on those lessons down to the next generation. You know, one example, a few summers ago, my my husband, Kevin, and I, we took a, a weekend vacation to the Biltmore Estate, which is a beautiful getaway. And for listeners who, who may not have been there before, it's hundreds of rooms, libraries and banquet halls and indoor swimming pool and bowling alley, just these gorgeous botanical gardens on thousands of acres, you know, overlooking the mountains in North Carolina. Every room was really a sight to see, but the this was the home of the Vanderbilts. And they were some of the wealthiest people in America at the time who grew their wealth thanks to the, the railroad business. They were also very philanthropic, but what was reported at Commodore's passing in the late 1800s was that the family had $100 million in wealth. And what you see happen over time is this temptation of the Gilded Age that led to kind of extreme spending. And within a few generations, unfortunately, that that family wealth was gone. And so it's it's interesting when you look at you know the size of wealth during that time period and you think, gosh, that's such a legacy. How is it possible to see family wealth rise and fall to such a degree? But it's it's actually estimated that you know 70% of our wealth is lost in that second generation. And 90% is lost by the third. So, you know, unfortunately for the Vanderbilts, it didn't last much longer than that. And then, you know, I think about the act of getting wealthy and staying wealthy is really two very different skill sets and requires this kind of mindset of, of judgment and discretion and the decisions we make and how we prioritize, you know, back to your flight example, what's important to us both now and in the future. And, you know, we think about, this and we see it happen to celebrities too who strike these multi-million dollar deals and still struggle in retaining wealth that they earned in their career and face bankruptcy. So, you know, I think about no matter your financial situation, once you reach that moment of financial success, 
a, a completely different skill set is really needed to keep it and make sure it passes on. So, you know, creating that lasting legacy requires that communication among family members. And I think it's important to pass those lessons on to the next generation so that it, it can last. And we we typically think about, you know, our estate plan is the best way to carry out our wishes. But our legacy is not only for that moment we've checked out from this earth, our, our legacy is actually now. I'm always encouraging people to think about how you can align your goals with the people and the causes and the missions that matter most to you and how how can you share your time, talent, and treasure with the world. And this is why when I work with families to call a family meeting, because I think it's important to talk about these ideas now. And I think if we can cultivate better, healthier relationships and conversations now, it, it will help improve relationships among the family, but can also bring about a, a greater level of financial security for all who are involved. Communication matters so much, especially when it comes to money. That Vanderbilt example is unbelievable. I mean, to think about the fact that they are essentially bankrupt today, is that a fair statement? And yet they were one of the wealthiest families on planet Earth for decades, right? It's hard to believe that. And it leads me to believe communication maybe wasn't where it was, where it could have been as they went through their lives, their kids. I'm guessing spent the money along the way. Wow. So financial security for uh, for our future selves. Why do people have such a hard time thinking about that? I know that's a, a theme you talk about in the book. Where, where does that come from? Yeah. So I, I actually came across this this interesting research study. It was Daniel Goldstein and, and Hal Hirschfeld, and they called it a, a behavioral time machine. And this experiment, they wanted to see if they were able to get people to connect with this future version of themselves to improve their ability to you know, achieve delayed gratification or in essence, save for retirement. So they, they took pictures of college age adults and used software to age them to see what they would look like in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the idea was to see if they could change their investment behavior by looking through this lens at their future self. And the they used a slider to kind of help them decide whether they were going to spend income now, making their younger self and their younger face very happy and the older face miserable. Or as they kind of increase the savings or move the slider, the older face becomes happy while the younger face starts frowning. And it wasn't telling them which way to move it, but it allowed them to see the trade-off of their decisions and allowed them to see that they're very much connected to this future person. And I think if we could picture exactly how our lives would unfold and all the decisions that would provide us with our ideal lifestyle, it would be so much easier for us to take those actions today. But, you know, absent this perfect lens of our future self, just being cognizant about how financial decisions affect us, not just today, but in the future, can help us have better retirement planning conversations and may help us all exercise our willpower muscles a little bit more. It's so easy to live in the now, isn't it? And not delay gratification, right? And and it can create a lot of problems for people in, in their financial future. So I really appreciate these exercises. Uh, what does that person look like? What do they feel like? How are they thinking about what is the life they want? And right, that's you. That's and you. <laughs> uh, what a powerful way to take people through and, and think about this and and help them maybe change their thinking. Speaking of change, Cassandra, you've done so much to evolve and grow yourself, but how has this book journey helped you continue along that journey? What have you learned about yourself? Yeah, I think it's opened me up to so many new ideas and and new perspectives. Just the amount of people who've shared so much positivity throughout this process who were kind of willing to share ideas and I've had the privilege to learn from has been really a huge blessing in my life. It really renewed my sense of passion and my drive and my career. 
And by inviting more people into this book journey, it, it strengthened that special relationship I have with the people around me. One of the values my mother taught me is that education is the one thing no one can ever take away from us. And I've just enjoyed how I've continued to grow and evolve and learn from others in this new chapter in my life. That is awesome. Even though you've done all of these things, earned all these designations, gone Got on, gone on to get your master's degree. You continue to learn and grow, and certainly the book's been a big part of that. What has been an unexpected positive for you in, in this journey? Yeah, so I, I think I really learned a lot about my own message and mission, and the book gave me the confidence to create this platform to really share my voice. That I, I don't think you can really get that same experience from any any other per, professional development program. And it gave me the ability to connect with so many amazing people and reconnect with people some of whom I haven't spoken to in over 20 years. And I think when you align, you know, a purpose and a passion together, people really connect with that and rally behind you. Creation is such a powerful force, right? And, and going through a creation process with others is, I think, a really amazing way to do it. This community, we always say never write alone, right? And going through this cohort-based program and creating those connections and going through a struggle together, I think is just such a unique experience. And certainly, certainly sounds like you've benefited from it. That is fantastic. Yeah. So the why of wealth, Cassandra, what is the key message you hope people and readers take away from your book? Once we show up to the table and once we have the confidence and have real vulnerable conversations around money matters, then we can start to understand what the money is actually for. And I think for each of us, it's our own personal and unique why of wealth story. To paraphrase Teddy Roosevelt, he once said, nothing worth it is ever easy. These conversations aren't easy. These, the planning isn't necessarily easy, but working with a professional can help you put together a plan, understand what your foundation is really about, what it is you want to solve for, and the life you want to live in the future is such a key part to this journey. And it's not going to happen by itself, is it? What is next for you and your goals for the book? Yeah, so I had some big news during this process, which I'm proud to share with the world. It's in the midst of writing this book, I you know left my corporate job in financial planning to start my own firm. And I'm now the proud founder and CEO of Cassandra Smalley Wealth Management. We're a financially planning focused company where we help clients confidently grow their wealth in a way that aligns with their values to design their best life. And so working with clients one-on-one -on -one and also doing more speaking engagements. And I have a few book launch events lined up in the coming months to be able to bring this message to a wider audience. So I hope I can share my passion to educate and empower others to live that financially free and joyful life. Congratulations on your launch into entrepreneurship. And you've done some talks at a university or two. Is that right? Yes. I actually went back to the University of North Florida, my alma mater, and spoke to the um, Student Managed Investment Fund team there. And so I'm hoping to get back up there and, and do more engagements with the College of Business as well and so their Women in Business program. That is awesome. So many great days ahead for you, my friend. Thank so you. happy for you. Congratulations on all your success. If people want to learn more about you and your book, Cassandra, where might they go? They can visit my website, CassandraSmalley.com, to learn more about my work. And I will be adding resources and materials related to the book in the coming months. So they'll be able to find that there. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. It's Cassandra Smalley, WM, WM standing for Wealth Management. And you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Cassandra Smalley. Awesome. Before we go, I want to share an early praise quote you got from Barbara Grilly about the book. I thought this was lovely. 
The book is a game changer for women who have never had a voice in their own financial success, either out of fear of the subject of finance itself or through outdated gender roles where their voice was discouraged or even silenced. For many reasons, including longevity, women of all ages need to have a financial need to have a financial success plan where they can enjoy the journey with confidence. How did it feel to get that quote from Miss Grilly? Oh, it was just amazing. And and honestly, I'm just so blessed with the number of people who shared their wisdom and their stories. And to have a quote like that just means that this message really matters. And so I'm so deeply humbled by her support and generosity. Cassandra, great to see you. Thank you so much for joining the creator community and sharing your story. Thank you, John, for having me on the show and for all that you do with the author community. And thank you, Eric Custer, for you know the Creator Institute manuscripts and to New Degree Press. It's been such a rewarding experience and really an honor to be a part of this community and be able to share my passion. So thank you all. You're too kind. It's fantastic to have folks with your energy and thoughtfulness in the program. Cassandra Smalley's book, The Why of Wealth, Mastering the Steps to a Wealthy Mindset to Live a Joyful Life will be available wherever you buy books online this March, 2023. Don't forget to subscribe to the Creator Community channel on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a review. If you're ready to write your book, visit manuscripts.com to learn how to turn your idea into a book in about a year. I'm your host of the Creator Community, John Saunders. Keep creating.